The scripture reading this morning will be taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. On the Pew Bible, that can be found on page 1040. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Good morning. That was a long sentence. It's amazing the passages Paul can write and how beautiful they are and how the run-on sentences continually run on to teach us great truths. And we'll study that in just a moment. If you're a guest, we're glad that you're here. We welcome you. It encourages us that you're here and we want to be an encouragement to you. As we think about guests, we are excited about the opportunity we have every week to invite people to take a step closer to learn more about God. But especially there are times that we place a great emphasis and hope that we all join in together and do that. So I want to encourage you to be thinking and praying about Friends Day. I know you already have been, but continue to do that and pray specifically for individuals. On the slide that is before you is actually a picture of the postcards that we have scattered throughout the foyer. Be sure and pick a few of those up. And this week, as you see individuals, uh, be sure and give them an invitation. And keep in mind that really you have the opportunity to to invite uh, to two different events, if you will. Uh, Sunday morning, We'll have Bible classes as usual. Invite guests to come and be a part of a Bible class with you. Uh, I think about a a fellow I invited just yesterday. I knew that he loves to study the Bible. And and a a year or so ago, we talked about how great of a teacher Mitch Poscovich is. And so I invited him. I said, come on Sunday morning. You need to go to Mitch's class. You think a lot of him. Wait till you hear him teach the Bible. Who is it that you can invite that would appreciate that? But then also think about on Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon is a wonderful uh, experience for all ages. We have the opportunity to come together in Charlie Daniels Park and worship God in amphitheater. And it's just wonderful to be out in the midst of God's creation and worshiping God. If you want to arrive as early as 3 o'clock, the shuttles will begin uh, running then. Be sure and park in the Mount Juliet Middle School parking lot. Uh, We'll mention more details next week, but uh, to make the traffic flow smoother, you could turn in the block just before or this side of the block, which would be Woodland Place, and turn in there and come in the back. And there'll be a place there to drop off uh, your side dish and desserts, a reminder to all of the members. Of course, we don't want guests to do that, but, but we want you to do that, if you will. A side dish that'll go along great with the hot dog supper, the hot dogs and, and uh, the toppings and the fixings of that nature, as well as the drinks will be provided. But if you can bring the side dishes and the desserts. And then also, if you need uh, handicap parking, and we're not talking about just if somebody has the, the blue sticker. We're just talking about if it benefits you 
drive on in to the Charlie Daniels Park and there'll be a place there where a little limousine golf cart will pick you up at your back bumper and they will pull right beside the chair that you're going to sit in. And so if that will help you, be sure and uh, pull in to that area uh, for that. It's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity that God gives us. The day itself is so enjoyable, but the opportunity to invite others to grow closer to God is one of the greatest opportunities that we have other than serving God ourselves. And so let's be prayerful about that, and let's pray that this will make an eternal difference, that this day will make an eternal difference in someone's life. The legend says that the king wanted to give an award, a recognition to the greatest citizen of his kingdom. And so he asked people to bring four finalists to him and then he would deem who was the most worthy of this position. And so a philanthropist was brought to him and described that this person was worthy because of all of the generosity that they had shared with the kingdom and made such a huge difference in the lives of others with the goods and the possessions and the money that they had shared. The second was brought before him, and the second was a a physician. And this physician had been known to save many lives, and those stories were told, and, and simply to make the health of the community better, and those stories were appreciated. And then an honorable judge was introduced, and stories were told about how much he desired justice, And how his discernment and wisdom was such a benefit to everyone in that community that the safety and the justice and simply the attitude of their society that they enjoyed in part was definitely because of this particular judge. And then the fourth person is brought out and the fourth person is so much more humble looking in manner and even in dress. She was an elderly lady. And it wasn't that she wasn't a good person. It just didn't look like she fit standing next to the others. And the king was a little bit taken back. And he said, and so why do we choose this lady? And the one presenting her said, King, you see the philanthropist, the physician, and the judge? Yes. She was their teacher. Is there any position that has any greater influence on our lives, on our churches, on our communities, and our nation than teachers? The opportunity to teach is an amazing, amazing opportunity. This morning, as we continue our shepherding, We're going to look, as you go into Bible classes, at the many passages that talk about whether it's preaching or teaching, being an evangelist or or being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. But this morning, I'd I'd like to ask you, what what if a shepherd was a teacher? I think about Philip Keller. He is a modern day shepherd. And he has written several books about shepherding the Lord being the shepherd, Christ being the shepherd, us being shepherds. And he's written them from, of course, the metaphor of the shepherd, but he writes them from personal experience. And in one of his books, in just one page, he gives two illustrations that he experienced in life. He says at the top of the page, he says, when I was a young man, 
I went and I worked on a ranch of thousands and thousands of acres in, in central, in British Columbia. I worked on a ranch in British Columbia, and he said it was a far remote area. He said the ranch was so big that, that there were 36 workers on this ranch. And we would make jokes about us being in three crews, three crews of a dozen. And he said it went like this. You had one crew that was always leaving the, the work. They were looking for another job. And you had another crew that was the crew that just got there. And he said you had the crew that was in the middle, and they were only temporary. He said, we were so far removed from everything, it didn't take long for anybody to realize there has to be a better job than this. Why? Because they weren't loyal to their work. Why? Because they didn't have ownership in it. Those livestock that they were caring for did not belong to them. He said, then I moved from there to Mossy, Africa. And he said, when I arrived there, I met people that were the most devoted to their flocks as anybody I had ever met. He said, within the first day, few days of being there, someone rushed to my door and asked for my assistance. And they had their 10-year-old son in their arms and he was dying. When I asked what was wrong, they described that while he was out taking care of the sheep, a lioness, a young lioness came in and was trying to take one of the sheep. And this 10-year-old boy grabbed his spear and he ran in with his bare hands and a speared the lioness. He finally killed the lioness, but only at the point that his life was just a threat away from death. He scooped up the young man. He did what he could do at the moment and rushed him to a hospital that was a long 27 miles away. And he said, I realized that day that there is a huge difference in individuals who are loyal, individuals who are devoted to the livestock and the flocks that they care for versus those that simply see it as a temporary job that they're in and out of. If a shepherd, and I'm talking about a shepherd's mentality, if you had a shepherd's mentality and you were going to be a teacher, how would that differ Teachers sometimes just think, my job is to transfer facts. But you know, a shepherd would approach their task to say, no, my task is to transform lives. And I hope that this morning, every one of us want to be sheep, that our lives are constantly in a growth pattern, that our life has been transformed from the world to a life and a relationship with Christ, but that we see that it's a continual opportunity to grow. But I hope, especially if you're a teacher this morning, that you never look at the opportunity to go into a class with a mindset of, well, this is just a temporary thing. I'm only in here for a quarter, and all I have to do are these 13 lessons, and then I'm out of here. I hope instead that you see that you're standing before a group of human beings that have a soul and you have an opportunity to either help transform their lives or help their lives grow closer. And so Paul, a great shepherd, a man who truly cared for people and for their lives and for their soul, he gives us an insight here in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. The first 16 verses give us great insight to the responsibility of the church and the responsibility that leaders have and even the responsibilities that we have toward each other. 
And with this, I'd like for you to go with me to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and look at verse 13. And I'd like for you to see that in 13 and 15, there is a mark that every teacher ought to keep in their own lives and before their students. And it's sandwiched between something else. Look at the end of verse 13. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ... And look at verse 15. But speaking the truth in love that may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. Now I want you to think, here's what we're striving to do and here's what teachers are constantly keeping as the mark. You know, if if you're in archery, you, you have a bullseye. You have a mark that you're trying to hit. As a teacher, what is the mark that you're trying to hit? What do you hold up before the students? At all times, you hold up the fullness of Jesus Christ. He's the mark. Here we are on a timeline. You're beginning the quarter with the students. Well, your students know more about Jesus and when they know more about how to stand up and measure themselves against Jesus. You see, when we do that, we realize that all of us have has room to grow. And so we're helping the students see that we have that room. What are we going to do this class? What are we going to do this quarter to grow? And notice, it's to grow up into Him in all things. But did you notice... That verse 14 is sandwiched between two passages that talks about the mark of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14 there in the middle. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness, the deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. Now when he talks about children here, he's not talking about the physical age. He's talking about whether someone is spiritually immature, they should not be children, but they still are spiritually, or whether or not they are spiritually mature, they are moving to become more like the fullness of Christ. Now notice this. Someone who is spiritually immature, they usually believe the last thing they've heard. Somebody comes along and they have some tricky doctrine and they say, hey, you ought to believe this. And they jump on that bandwagon. And somebody else comes along and says, no, no, we ought to do this. This is what everybody's doing now. And so they jump on that bandwagon. You know what great teachers do? Great teachers help students learn that we don't need bandwagons. All we need is Jesus Christ. They help the students see what they should be focusing on and allow Him to rule and to reign in their life. And then someone comes along with a deceitful doctrine. The student grows and matures and they have their eyes on Christ and they say, you know what, I've never heard that doctrine before. So therefore I know that it has to be wrong because I know Christ's doctrine. That's interesting. That's that's an interesting new deceptive doctrine you have. But I'm going to stay with Christ. Teachers, are we doing that? Are we holding Christ up before the students at all time? Does every student in every class know that we only have one mark? And it's like when you measure yourself against a doorframe at your grandparents' house and you look at your older cousins or or siblings and, and you want to reach that mark. Do you know the mark of Jesus Christ? Do you know that high standard that you constantly measure yourself against, but you're hoping that the students will measure their self against. Now, please let me make a secondary point here under this same point that's very important. It is not just the responsibility of the teacher to give the facts about Jesus and how to grow close to Him, but it is the responsibility of the teacher to show the students a life 
that is measuring up against Jesus Christ. Now, if I say it like this, you'll know exactly what I mean. Teachers of all people are to practice what they preach. It doesn't work for a teacher to not measure themselves against Jesus Christ, but then go into a class and try to help people grow closer to Jesus. It's hollow. It will never work. I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. In 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, we have Paul. Of course, he's a mature Christian, and he's working with Timothy. I'm not suggesting to you that Timothy was immature as as that he was childlike in his faith, but I am suggesting to you that he was a lot less uh, of maturity in his faith than probably Paul was. And so Paul is writing to him to try to hold that mark of Christ up to say, hey, I'm an older preacher and I know you. I've known you since you were a boy, Timothy, and I'm just trying to pull you along toward Christ. Why? Because he wanted Timothy to turn around to the church at Ephesus that he's working with, which, by the way, Paul loved the church of Ephesus dearly, and that's probably one of the reasons why he wrote these two books also, was he was wanting to help their preacher be able to pull them along towards the mark of Jesus Christ. I'd like for you to notice here, and and as we read this, think about Paul urging Timothy to practice what he preaches, and notice how this is going to end, but let's start in verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example. All teachers should be an example of this. Example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And there's things that they ought to be doing in their life as well as their example. Till I come, give attention. In other words, this is activity. This is something you're going to constantly do as a teacher. To reading, to exhortation, that's calling to one side. Listen, simple application. We all ought to be inviting folks all the time come learn of God. But if there's anybody that ought to be setting that pace, it ought to be our teachers. That's what we're called to do is to exhort people, to call people to the side of Christ and to doctrine. So he's saying to this young teacher, to this young preacher, you spend a lot of time in reading. You spend a lot of time exhorting other people. You spend a lot of time in knowing the doctrine that you preach. Doctrine is beautiful. It means teaching. How can we teach if we don't know what we are to teach? But now notice the third thing that he says to this young teacher. He says, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Now we're about to read how he received his gift through a miraculous way. We today receive gifts or abilities from God. They're not in miraculous ways, but they can be used to do amazing things like change the destiny of someone's soul. And so notice what he says here about do not neglect the gift that's in you, which was given to you by which is given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Now notice what he's going to do here as he's going to have to take heed to his own life. It's going to be through meditation. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. Why? That your progress may be evident to all. You know what meditation is? Forget the yoga business from the eastern side of the world. I'm not talking about that craziness. I'm talking about, I'm talking about meditation in the Word of God, which means you read and you study deeply God's Word, and then you sit down and you say, what would that look like lived out in my life? What's that going to look like in my life? Listen, if I learn the Word of God, but I can't meditate and see how it's lived out in my life, how am I going to live it out? Now, isn't it interesting here that he is talking 
to Timothy about how to be a better preacher and a better teacher. And he says, look, you're going to have to spend time figuring out how the word of God is to be lived out because other people are not going to listen to what you say if what? If they cannot see your progress in it all. You see that? I didn't make that up. It's right there. Listen, if your students cannot see the progress in your spiritual life, you don't belong in the class. They're not only to hear the teaching of God's Word, they're supposed to be able to look at the teacher and see the teaching of God's Word incarnated. This is what it looks like lived out. Now, what will that result in? Notice this last verse. Take heed. We studied that a couple weeks ago, didn't we? So now, that's what he said to elders back in Acts 20. Now notice what he says to the teacher, to the preacher here. Take heed to yourself and to what? And to your doctrine. In other words, okay, Timothy, I'm going to summarize everything I've just been over. When you're going to measure up, you got Christ, take heed to yourself. How are you measuring up to Christ? And take heed to what you're teaching. Does it lead people to Christ? Is it the doctrine of Christ? And so he says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Brethren, if that doesn't fire you up as a teacher to say, I have a high standard and I want to be serious about it because if I can do something to save, to to change someone's eternity, if I can do something that will save their soul, how awesome is that? To know that on the day of judgment, someone's going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And God could, if he wanted to, look over at Timothy and say, Timothy, you're a big reason why that happened. You not only taught the word, but you showed progress of how the word looks like in life. You took heed to yourself and to your doctrine. And now not only are you saved, but look at the others that are saved. Right now, if we went around this room and we said... Who was it that taught you while you were in elementary school in Bible class that made a huge difference in your life? You could name someone just like that. Do you know that they're helping to save your soul? They were part of that foundation. Right now, if you're an adult, we say, who is it that you learn from as an adult? You love going to their Bible classes because you seem to always grow closer to God. You know more of His Word. You can name someone just like that. They're helping to save your soul. Listen, we need to love and appreciate teaching. But teachers, we need to realize the great weight and responsibility that we have to constantly say our focus is on Jesus. Not just in the classroom, but in all of our life, our focus is upon Jesus. As we go back to Ephesians, the fifth, uh, fourth chapter, I'd like for you to think about the growth that is expected In Ephesians, the fourth chapter and verse 11, we see a group of leaders mentioned in 4.11. He himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets. Definitely in the first century, uh, those would have had miraculous abilities. There's no doubt about that. But notice the last three. The last three definitely do not uh, demand miraculous ability. When he says, and some evangelists, that's, that's proclaiming or preaching the word of God to places. And some pastors in the Greek, that is the same exact word for shepherds. It's translated every other time in the New Testament shepherds. So we know beyond doubt, he's talking about elders here and or shepherds or pastors, uh, however you want to refer to it biblically here. And then 
And then notice, as he says in the rest of 11, and some teachers. And so we have evangelists and pastors and teachers. And so we have these people of influence in the lives of others. Now, I know this isn't the best of grammar, but because it's written this way, if I could say this, what are they for? Well, notice, we're not, again, at the end of a sentence. The whole text this morning was one long sentence. And so he's introducing these areas of leadership, or he's referring to these areas of leadership and of influence. And he says, let me tell you what they're for. And notice in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How do you equip the saints? Look just real quickly, or look on the slide in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, in verse 16 and 17. Notice in, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that we see, first in verse 16, all Scripture, and we see why it's given. We see that it's given for doctrine, teaching, for reproof, identifying what's wrong, for correction, identifying how to change what is wrong, and for righteousness' sake, knowing once we get it corrected, how can we stay in the paths of righteousness? But notice this in verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. Now, in verse 11, he said, leaders, preachers, elders, teachers... I want to tell you what your responsibility is. Your responsibility is to make sure that people are equipped. With what? Well, we go back and look what the Bible says is equipping, and it's with the Word of God. Equipped for the Word of God, why? Go back now to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and look at that verse again that we just looked at. For the work of ministry. Now, some of the older translations actually have the article the, for the work of the ministry, making it sound like they are equipped for a certain ministry. That's simply not a good translation. It's not in the original language. It's not saying that you're equipped for a certain ministry. It's saying that you're equipped to serve. Listen, I know that I mentioned something like this in, in previous weeks, but not to, to uh, overemphasize it, but let me mention this to make sure we understand as teachers. It is wonderful to have scholarship among us. But you see from this text, teachers are not teaching people with the highest priority being how many of you guys can we turn into scholars. We equip people with the Word of God so that they know how to take the teachings of Christ and live out their life to serve God and to serve others. If people can come into our classes and not be motivated to serve God and to serve others, we're not doing something right as teachers. Listen, if your first graders are not going home wanting to serve God and to respect their parents and be good to their siblings and Christ is not going to be reflected, we're missing the mark somewhere. Our task as Christian teachers is not just to give rote learning. Can you repeat this back to me? Can you memorize where this verse is? And all of these things and that alone. That definitely has its place. It definitely has its importance. But there has to come that point where the teacher realizes that what's much more important is getting those things applied to life so that we're equipping them. If you send an electrician into a living room to hang a ceiling fan and he says, I'm not equipped right now. Let me, let me run back to my truck and get my tool belt and a ladder. You know exactly what he meant by that statement. He wanted to be able to do that job for you, but he can't do that job until he is equipped. Here is where Satan creeps in and tells us lies. 
He says the SOS is out there and all you have to do is sign up and all you have to do is get busy and you really don't need any learning or any education. Yes, you do. According to God, you do. You need to make sure that you're constantly in the Word of God because we are not truly equipped for good works until we know the Word of God. Have you ever seen anybody do ministry and they make everybody mad that they minister to? That's an electrician that's come to hang a ceiling fan and doesn't have any equipment with him. He doesn't have the Word of God. Have you ever seen somebody show up and it looks like they can really hang that ceiling fan well, but they're all arrogant about it? Hey, make sure that I mention. Make sure everybody knows I did this. What do you have? You have a servant that does not have the equipment. They do not know the Word of God. They don't know why they do what they do. You can rest assured that if you try to do ministry without being equipped with God's Word, you will make mistakes. There's no way around it. The way a man is not in himself to walk. It's not in our knowledge. It's not in our wisdom. We have to have God's direction. But then I'd like for you to also notice that in verse 15, in the fourth chapter in verse 15, the motive is love and the fuel or the standard is truth. Speaking the truth in love, the truth cannot be compromised. If we had time and we don't, but we could go back to this same chapter in verses 4, 5, and 6, and we see the seven ones. Those cannot be compromised. There is one church. There is one faith. There is uh, one baptism. There is one hope. There, there is one God and one Son and one Spirit. Those cannot be compromised. That truth has to be taught, and it has to be taught in love. Listen, if it's not love for God and love for the students that drives us into a classroom, we need to get out of that classroom. We must love who we teach. And we must love the Christ that we hold up as the mark. And the result of that is going to be growth. And I'd like for you to look again at just Ephesians, the fourth chapter. See there in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him. Look at the end of verse 16. That when every part does its share, causes growth of the body. He refers to two types of growth there. He says when we do this, the way it's supposed to be done, the individual is going to grow up into him in all things, and the church as a whole is going to grow. The church as a whole is going to be edified. Why? Because every part is doing its share. This morning, what an amazing text. A text that keeps us focused. Something to measure up against. A text that reminds us that it's not just about what we teach, but it's also how we live and how we love. And a passage where God says, if you'll do these things, it causes growth in the body. That's encouraging. That's a promise of God. This morning, are you a sheep? Are you the Lord's sheep? Are you coming to Him constantly to depend upon Him and to listen to Him and know that more than anything, you want to measure up against His Son? None of us are going to measure up in perfection on this earth against Him, but that's our mark and that's what we're striving for. If you're a teacher in this congregation, 
uh, from the depths of our heart, we thank you. What a difference the teachers have made in this congregation. If you have a heart that you want to teach sometime, let's all make sure that we recognize the teachings that the Lord gives us and let's approach teaching with the shepherd's mentality that we truly care for the people we're teaching. We're not just trying to transfer facts. We're trying to transform lives. This morning, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ or if you want to come back and be restored to Him, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.